Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Tropicana Field in Tampa Bay. It's the Cleveland Guardians 5, the Tampa Bay Race 3. The Guardians go on to win the series two games to one and end their road trip, by the way, I guess with a winning record. They'd split in Chicago, they'd split in Boston, and then they win the series in Tampa Bay. So they end the road trip with a winning record. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And we are going to get into all the details of this win because, my God, Terry Francona is having the you know streak of luck of his life. And then we're going to get into an email. We got a new emailer, Eric and Rocky River. So we're going to jump into his email. He made me do a little bit of extra research this morning. Uh, wants to talk a little bit of defensive first base. Uh, and has a question about Alex Call. So let's get into it. Let's get into the details of this game. And the top storyline has to be the bullpen day. Brian, you know, Brian Shaw starting another game. How the hell did Francona let him start again? They don't want to go down to AAA. They don't want to do anything to the 40-man roster before the trade deadline. I mean, that's that has to be what's going on here. That has to be it. Uh, Antonini and Chernoff want to keep all the options on the table. They don't want to have to DFA anybody right now. And to start a Battenfield or a Xavion Curry, they would have to do that. A Logan T. Allen. Uh, remember, different Logan Allen. They would have to DFA someone. So instead of that, they don't know what the 40-man roster is going to look like. Are they going to be buyers? Are they going to be sellers? Are they going to buy from the 40-man roster? Are they going to buy with guys off the 40-man roster? They, they don't know what it's going to look like by August 2nd. So we're going to have to just kind of suffer through this for a few more days until we see what move the Guardians make. They've been linked to a few things. Uh, uh, in The Athletic, they had an article about it. Zach Meisel had an article about it saying they were linked to Sean Murphy in Oakland. They've, they've been talking to Oakland about the catcher, uh, which would make a lot of sense. He's someone that could pair with Bo Naylor very nicely next season. But until that shakes out, yeah, I, he goes with another bullpen game, gives Shaw another start, and once again, is so lucky. I mean, not only is Shaw starting, he's starting against the starter for the American League All-Star team, Shane McClanahan. And the Guardians end up, you know, setting him up with three runs in that second inning. Now Shaw comes back and gives up two right back in the bottom of the second. He almost gives the whole thing back. But yeah, Francona literally is a guy at the blackjack table that, that can't lose right now. No matter what they do, they bring the cooler in. And they, you know, they still can't stop his streak of luck. It's unbelievable this works. Uh, Shaw barely survives. He had three walks in two innings, and he barely survives. Uh, his two innings. Karinchek gives him a nice third inning. Uh, but then McCarty is just hard hit all over the place. On 57 pitches, he's hard hit seven times. And somehow, because of great defense, because of throwing guys out at home plate, because of pickoffs, because of caught stealings, Kirk McCarty somehow gets out of it with only giving up one run. And then Morgan, Stefan, and Klasse are able to shut things down for the rest of the game. So once again, Terry Francona makes somehow, surprisingly, all the right decisions. 
and he's able to walk away from Tampa Bay with a Series 1 under his belt. Uh, meanwhile, on the other side, they were they were considering taking McClanahan out after, you know, in the third inning at some point. And they left him in there a little bit longer because they came back and tied the game in the bottom of the fourth. It was a 3-3 game. But then the Guardians go ahead and put two more across on the fifth. All the runs credited to McClanahan. He lasts four and a third. That's right. Your starter for the AL All-Star game lasts four and a third. And it's the bottom of the lineup that's terrorizing him. Their bullpen comes in and shuts things down after that. He uses uh, five bullpen arms after that to get through the rest of the game. But uh, they're able to put zeros on the board. But it doesn't matter. The Guardians bullpen, even though the Guardians bullpen technically you know, gave up a run and the Rays bullpen didn't, they were working with the lead, so uh, they had that advantage there. And I would say both bullpens were very good on the day. Uh, Cleveland's was just a little bit better. So, all right, let's get into a little bit more detail than that because I can just hammer Francona for his decision-making. But, it, God damn it, it worked. It somehow worked. So, uh, let's get into this. Now, why wasn't Shaw very good? Well, uh, walks. Walks were, were a big problem for him. In that first inning, somehow with two outs, he back-to-back walks in that first inning uh, to Low, Lau and a Rosarena, and then he gets David Peralta, the newest Tampa Bay Ray. There are some trades going on. Tampa Bay went and got David Peralta from Arizona, and he lines out there in the first inning, his first at-bat as a Ray. Then in the second inning, he was getting hammered, and I could not believe he wasn't taking him out of the game at this point. Isak Paredes ropes a double, 98.1 miles per hour. I think that was down the left field line. Then the the Rays don't even have to do anything. He would come in to score on a wild pitch and then an error throw down to third base uh, that gets by Jose Ramirez, and Paredes lumbers home. I mean, he was he was not putting in much of an effort on the base pass. He kind of lumbered in a second, and he lumbered home and beats the throw uh, from left field. So Paredes scores the first run that way. All right, now he's given up a run. He's had a wild pitch. He just got hammered. Doesn't want to take him out yet. Doesn't want to take him out. Walks Yu Chang then. Doesn't want to take him out yet. Roman Quinn then lines a double at 105.4 miles per hour. Doesn't want to take him out yet. Leaves him in the game. Has a mound visit, but leaves him in the game. Um, gets a uh, a line out after that uh, from Pinto. Right at Andres Jimenez. Okay. G-Man Choi would ground out to first base. Uh, they flip it to Brian Shaw. Chang would come in to score. Those were your two runs. And then he leaves him in to face Yandy Diaz. And Yandy Diaz would ground out to Ahmed Rosario. So... After getting hammered twice in the inning, after giving up another walk, after giving up two runs, he lets him finish the inning. I, he was determined, determined. He even sent, uh, you know, the pitching coach out there because he was determined not to take Shaw out of that inning. He wanted Shaw to get through that second inning. And he does. He gives up two runs, but he doesn't give up the lead, right? It keeps it a 3-2 game, and Shaw gets out of it. All right, on the other side of things... Uh, McClanahan was just struggling with the bottom of our order. He survives the top of our order. Quan and Rosario with back-to-back singles in the first inning, and then he strikes out Ramirez. A force out of Reyes puts runners on the corner, and he strikes out Andres Jimenez. But then in the second inning, it's the bottom of the order, and it's a leadoff walk. And we talk about it all the time. A leadoff walk is going to hurt you. 
I walked to Alex Call. I joked uh, before the game. I was like, watch. Alex Call and Ernie Clement are going to have the games of their lives because that's just the way baseball works. It's kind of how this one worked. The bottom of the order had quite a game. So Alex Call walks. Clement singles on a 67.1 mile per hour exit velocity bloop. Uh, Austin Hedges is hit by the pitch. It loads the bases for Miles Strong. What does he do? He bloops one. He takes a low pitch, a low changeup, I believe, and he hits it 66.1 miles per hour just over the second baseman's outstretched glove. I had an 810 expected batting average because it's kind of no man's land back there behind the infield. And Clement gets a great jump. Uh, you know, the TV broadcast was all over this. Clement gets a great jump. He read the play. He knew that ball was going over that second baseman's head, and he was off to the races. He can fly around the base paths. Uh, we don't get to talk about Clement's speed very often, but he he does have speed. He brings something. Uh, he is a factor in that way. So two runs come in to score after Quan lines out, and Ahmed Rosario is forced out. Jose Ramirez delivers the single at 84.5 miles per hour. Maybe the hardest hit hit off of McClanahan. Uh, you know, an RBI, definitely the hardest hit RBI in this inning. 84.5 miles per hour, shoots it through the left side and brings in Austin Hedges to score that final run to score from third. Adds another RBI. Big stuff from Jose Ramirez there. I love how he can get the job done, even with two outs. Jose Ramirez is getting the job done. So, yeah, we scratch across three. Then in the fifth inning, the bottom of the order gets him again and once again walks would prove costly. I can't believe they didn't take him out at this point. Jose Ramirez would ground out to kick things off, but Fermil Reyes would single. Again, 86.9 mile per hour single, not a hard hit ball. Then he would walk Andres Jimenez. He would walk Alex Call to load the bases. He looks like he might get out of it. He gets Ernie Clement to line out weekly. And then Austin Hedges comes up in that fifth inning, down in the count one and two, and he just shoots one into center field. A nice, easy swing, 79 mile per hour exit velocity. It had a 940 expected batting average because it was just a nice, easy line shot in the center field with the bases loaded, with two outs, down in the count, and Hedges is able to deliver. Two runs come in to score, and he is fired up at first base. So he just gave up a two RBI hit with the bases loaded to the nine hitter in that second inning. And then in the fifth inning, it's the eighth hitter in the lineup. He gives up a two-run uh, two RBI hit to the eighth hitter in our lineup. So yeah, McClanahan was really struggling against the bottom of our order. Now, what were we doing? What were we hitting? Uh, there is one, for some reason, sometimes StatCast does this, where it just like does not pick up one. That or it's two pitches in the dead exact location. Uh, so I'm only seeing six of the seven hits here on StatCast. But I can tell you that four of them came off the changeup. Straw's RBI hit came off the changeup in that second inning. Down at the knees but middle of the plate. Uh, where was Austin Hedges? Uh, is Austin Hedges the one that's not showing up here? Yeah, Austin Hedges is the one that's not showing up. I have no idea what he hit. I believe it was kind of like an inside fastball that he lined out into center field. But yeah, giving up four hits on changeups. Everything's from the belt or below. Quan's hit in the first inning was the only hit off a fastball. Uh, Amin Rosario in the first inning got an inside slider that he was able to get a hit off of. But everything everything else was the changeup. So McClanahan was getting hit off of those off-speed pitches. And it's a good job. I mean, their pitches down. 
and the Guardians didn't try to do too much with it. They just uh, stuck in there against the guy and took what they were getting, took the weak contact when they could get it, and uh, delivered some big hits. So, uh, oh, that's right. Uh, Austin Hedges' hit came off of Ryan Thompson. So it was a two-seam sinker. He kept throwing it at him. Here's the F-bat from Austin Hedges, a slider that misses away, way away in the other batter's box for the first pitch, then three sinkers in a row in the exact same location. Uh, inside, inside lower quadrant against Austin Hedges. Uh, the first one is he fouls off. It's a little bit lower at the knees. The next one is up at the belt, and he takes a swinging strike at that one. And then the next one splits the difference, and that's the one he shoots into center field. So, yeah, three pitches in a row from the reliever Ryan Thompson. So it is a run given up by the bullpen, but it's an inherited run credited to McClanahan. And, yeah, so uh, a hit off of a, a fastball, actually, uh, by Austin Hedges there. So that's how the Guardians put across five runs. I mean, the bottom of the order, really, everybody delivered. Everybody had a moment offensively. Everybody either had a hit or under some minutes at least gets on via a walk and scores a run. He's the only one in the starting lineup without a hit. Straw is the only one with a two-hit game in the lineup. But the RBIs, two from Austin Hedges, two from Miles Straw, and one from Jose Ramirez. Uh, so, yeah, the Guardians' offense really makes the day tough for the AL All-Star starter, McClanahan. I didn't think that was going to happen. I mean, none of us, none of us thought that was going to happen. Seeing Shaw against McClanahan, we thought for sure this was going to be a really rough game. And it just wasn't. It just wasn't. Uh, Kirk McCarty got hit around then when he comes into the game. That's the last thing we haven't talked about, really, uh, is Kirk McCarty gets hit around pretty hard. But he's able to manage and survive. And, and I mean, it was a lot of good defense, too, helped him out in this thing. So Kirk McCarty comes in in that fourth inning, and he's already getting hammered. Isak Paredes with it lines another double into left field uh, on a you know, 104.7 mile per hour exit velocity hit. Yu Chang shoots one into right field at 104.2 miles per hour, puts runners on the corner. He does get Roman Quinn to strike out. And then uh, he walks Pinto to load the bases. So now it's the Rays' turn with the bases loaded. G-Man Choi up. He hits one too hard into center field. I mean, he does the exact same thing the Guardians players were doing. He lines one into center field, but he hits his at 105 miles per, per hour exit velocity. It hangs up there for miles strong center field, and he makes a really nice sliding catch. We talked about it a lot with the outfielder. Sometimes you've got to get down on the grass and get down under a ball. And Straw with a really nice sliding catch. You can see it in the eyes. He had it the whole way. He knew he was going to get under this ball. And uh, they do tag up and bring a run in. That was that tying run to make it a 3-3 game in the fourth. But that sliding catch definitely, definitely saved this from being a much worse situation. And then he gets Yandy Diaz to fly out to end things. So uh, he gets out of it. Yeah, he, uh, he survives the bases loaded in the bottom of the fourth. In the fifth inning... After the Guardians had just taken the lead, he, again, a lead-off double and single, again, hammered at hard-hit balls, 107.1 mile-per-hour exit velocity from Brandon Lau. It's a double into right field. And then Randy Rosarini comes up, shoots one through in the left field at 107.8 miles per hour, but he gets saved by Stephen Kwan up there, who comes up firing, and, I mean, they nail Lau at home plate. They absolutely nail him by a couple steps, an easy tag 
for Austin Hedges. And, uh, you know, Cash said after the game that they were trying to be aggressive. They Everybody's out there trying to create runs, especially after they'd just given up the lead. So he's he was okay with them being aggressive. But, I mean, this guy was out by a mile, and that really seemed to settle down uh, Kirk McCarty. They get more defense in the sixth inning. Uh, Roman Quinn would walk uh, after Pinto flies out. With G-Man Choi batting, Quinn is picked off at first base. And then it technically goes as a caught stealing because he goes to second base. So more good defense. Picking off uh, Quinn with G-Man Choi up to bat. Prevents, you know, prevents another rally maybe. Uh, You know, saves him, definitely saves him from that walk. You know, he's the one that put Roman Quinn on. And then he's able to get Roman Quinn out. So some good defense right there. Gets Kirk McCarty through the sixth inning. He uh, he faces G Manchoy. He'd stay in there to face the lefty, and he'd get him to line out at 99 miles per hour. Uh, and then he would go to the bullpen. He would bring in uh, who'd he bring in off the off the out of the bullpen? He'd bring in Eli Morgan to get out of that seventh inning. He does. He gets hard hit a little bit, but he survives that seventh inning. Even a double to Brandon Lau, and then uh, Stefan the setup man again in the eighth inning. It works, and Klasse, of course in the ninth with his 23rd save. So. Some good defense definitely saved Kirk McCarty's day because, I mean, four hits, two walks, and somehow he only survives giving up one run. So that's big stuff from the Guardians' defense. And I think, I mean, that's really, that boils down this game. Uh, These blue pits from the bottom of the order and then some really, really good defense saves the bullpen. So MVP on the day, I think I have to go with Miles Straw on this one. The only one in the lineup with a multi-game hit and those two RBIs in that second inning, that big RBI single to kick off the scoring. Definitely, I mean, the fact that you're able to do that against McClanahan just gave this team all the confidence in the world. We don't have to crush this guy. We just got to put it in play. Just got to make contact and good things can happen. And then he makes that sliding catch in center field. Definitely saves Kirk McCarty's butt. Uh, I think Miles Straw for his defense or his offense definitely deserves MVP on the day. All right, let's go over to the emails. Let's go over to clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. We got a really nice email from Eric in Rocky River. Uh, He found the podcast, and uh, just like most of us, he didn't have anyone in his life really to talk baseball with. Uh, So he was really great. He found the podcast, and he listens every day now, so... Uh, he says it also helps him out when he's in a super bad mood when they lose because I seem like a pretty even-keeled dude. Well, I appreciate that, Eric, because, yeah, I've just, I might only be 37 years old, but I've seen enough Cleveland sports to know that there is just nothing but heartbreak and pain out there. And once in a lifetime, you get a 2016 moment, but, you know, the Cavs winning the NBA championship. But, I mean, after drives and fumbles and Jose Mesa's and, uh, you know, all the playoff exits, all the heartbreaking playoff exits in Cleveland. I'm watching my Ohio State Buckeyes lose a couple of national championships before they finally won a couple of national championships. I'm just, I don't take, I let sports roll off my shoulder. I, I really do. I, you gotta, you gotta, there's too much heartbreak out there in sports uh, to let it just destroy you like that. You just gotta move on with your day, especially baseball, especially baseball. There's 162 of these things. Why let one ruin your day, ruin your week? They're just going to play tomorrow, right? 
We're just going to lace them up and play tomorrow. So let's just continue to have fun with it, morning people. Let's just enjoy the game of baseball. Win, lose, whatever. We'll talk about it. We'll enjoy it. We'll eat some hot dogs. We'll eat some popcorn and Cracker Jacks. Drink a few beers, right? Or some sodas, whatever you prefer. And uh, we'll just enjoy the game. So uh, he has some good questions for us. He has some really thoughtful questions here. He asked about Naylor's defense. Maybe dig into some defensive metrics. He says, is Naylor a plus defensive first baseman or just average? He seems way better defensively than Miller, but I don't know what the stats say. If he's going to be gimpy forever, would they just have him DH and dump for Mio Reyes? Could Nolan Jones move to first base to make space in the outfield for Oscar Gonzalez when he's back? Was he even a good third baseman when he was on the infield? So it's a lot of questions there. Uh, so we dug, I dug into this, and it's hard to find defensive metrics, but over on fan graphs, um, they have the ultimate zone rating for uh, Josh Naylor. He's at a negative 0.4. So yeah, he has a negative ultimate zone rating, but I don't think this really takes into account um, you know, his ability to actually field the position of not feel the position of first base, but handle the responsibility of first base, fielding the throws at first base. Now, they do have him on his uh, outs above average pulled from stack cast. They have him at a plus three, and his uh, runs above average, so kind of the, the um, Fangraphs version of this, the RAA, they have him at a plus two. Now, on the other side of things, Owen Miller, his ultimate zone rating is at a zero, I think it's because, you know, he has that second base training. And as a second baseman, he does have a, he has more range. He's better at fielding the ball than Josh Naylor. He's going to get to some things. He's going to make some diving stops in the hole and behind the bag. He is going to do that over Josh Naylor. But when it comes to the actual footwork of first base, he's worse than Josh Naylor. He does not know the footwork of first base. He's not good at receiving the throw at first base. And that's where he fails as a first baseman. So these are things that are really hard to show up in things like ultimate zone rating and these metrics. Uh, and then they have him. His stat cast outs above average is only a one. And his runs above average is RAA fielding on uh, Fangraphs here is also a one. So those collective overall stats do show that he's a worse defensive first baseman than Josh Naylor. I don't think either of them are very elite, but Naylor does seem to do a good job of receiving the ball at first base. I will give him that, and I don't really think I'm going to find a stat that's going to reflect that for us. Um, so yeah, so there there is a value section here on Fangraphs, fan and the, the fielding runs above average uh, rating, they have Naylor at a 3.7, a plus 3.7, and they have Owen Miller at a uh, 3.2. So there's another stat where Naylor is showing a little bit better than Owen Miller. So yeah, so I do think there is a chance that they go out. I mean, they were trying to get the first baseman from Oakland in the offseason. I do think there is a chance here where they could try to upgrade first base at the trade deadline, defensively and offensively. And yes, I do think Naylor, especially if, you know weight issues continue if he can't get in shape if the injuries the like the ankle injury and things like that the broken leg uh continue to plague him where he just can't move around very well uh, i do see him falling back into a dh role i think that would work a little bit for him and for Mio reyes 
Yeah, they're, I mean, they really have to decide what they're going to do with Fermil Reyes. I think that's a big part of this trade deadline is what they do with Fermil Reyes. A lot of you want him traded. But again, who is taking him? Who is buying him? Can the Guardians sit on him? They can move him down to AAA if they really want to. There is options still on Fermil Reyes. So that would be a possibility. Nolan Jones playing first base? I don't see it because... Nolan Jones only played one game at first base in his entire minor league career. I couldn't believe that. I thought the plan was to try him at first base when they moved him off a third. But he only played one game there defensively in 2021. Everything else was at third base. And then recently, it's been all outfield. I mean, it's been a lot of outfield in 2021. And then it's been exclusively outfield in 2022. So, uh, yeah, they... Right field really seems like the spot for Nolan Jones, and I think we can all agree that defensively it's working, right? He is doing fairly well out there. Uh, when he was playing third base, he did not have a very... He made a lot of errors at third base. He does not have a very great uh, fielding percentage there. He's been much better since moving to the outfield. Uh, so I think that's just where he's going to be. I think Nolan Jones... I think I think they mentioned something about they don't see him playing third base at the major league level yet because he was struggling in the minors at third base. So I think it's, if anything, you're looking at a platoon situation, and if anything, you're you're looking at Quan playing more center field and Straw getting more days off to get Oscar Gonzalez in this lineup as well. So those are some possibilities rather than Nolan Jones coming back into the infield. I don't see Nolan Jones on a major league infield from the way they've talked and from what the numbers are showing me. Over here on Baseball Reference, the infield wasn't working out too great for him anyways in the minors. So that's kind of what I'm seeing from your first question. His second question, he asked about Alex Call. And it's a fair question. Is Call a good baseball player? It seems like they just got him, give him pinch hit at bats. And he has been like the only rookie that hasn't popped. I never even really heard of him amongst the top prospects before he came up. It was like out of nowhere and they don't seem super committed to him. Uh, so, Eric, I will tell you that, yeah, he's someone we got in a trade, uh, in a very minor trade. We got him for Yonder Alonso in the win- in the winter between 2018 and 2019 season. Um, so, yeah, he wasn't a very highly regarded player, I don't think, in either system. He was a former third-round pick, um, and this was really his best year in the minors. I mean, before this, his in rookie ball, he had an 839 OPS. Other than that, you're looking at OPSs. Here's his career so far. A 612 OPS in 2017. A 760 OPS in 2018. 2019, a double A for Cleveland. It's a 587 OPS. In 2021, it looks a little better. 794 OPS. And then this year at AAA, he was up to a 922 OPS. So he was really having a very good minor league season at AAA. Hitting 283 was on base a ton, was slugging a little bit, had 11 home runs. Uh, So yeah, he is someone who's got some skill, but at age 27, making his major league debut, why they chose him over Will Brennan or Will Benson when they were needed another outfielder, I mean, clearly he brings a little bit more than Oscar Mercado was bringing. He hasn't really gotten the opportunity, like you say, at the major league level they, he's really just been here to be a defensive replacement. And I think once Oscar Gonzalez is back, I got to imagine Alex Call goes back down to Triple A. I, I got to imagine that's the move. And everyone's expecting Gonzalez back very, very soon, whether it's to kick off the series or whether I, 
I would guess after the trade deadline, right? They, they again, they still want to see what's going to happen with this trade deadline uh, before they make a roster move. So it'll be interesting to see if he is back before that trade deadline goes down. So yeah, so Alex Call is kind of a journeyman. He's been playing in the minor leagues for a long time. He's 20, 27 is old these days to be making your rookie debut. And yeah, the plan was for him to be here for his defense, be a defensive replacement, much more than it was, hey, can this guy pop in the outfield? Uh, there's other guys. Will When Will Brennan comes up and Will Benson comes up, those guys, they're definitely going to be looking to see if they can pop in the outfield. Or I think Will Benson has started playing some first base. So they might be looking down in the minors to see if they can find a first baseman down there. That would be an interesting experiment. It'd be an interesting way. They're almost, as much as the outfield has been a struggle, they're running into a log jam in the outfield because Quan has been great. Nolan Jones has been great since being called up. Straw they still believe in as a nine hitter and a really great defensive center fielder so where are you fitting in these defensive? Where are you fitting in these outfielders? Where are you fitting in a Benson, a Brennan, a George Valera, a Joenske Noel? Where are you fitting these guys in? They got to keep making these guys flexible, right? Playing multiple positions so that when they get up here, when it's time to bring them up, there are a little bit of flexibility. And maybe a Will Benson comes up as a first baseman, not as an outfielder. Uh, so yeah, that's what the minor league system is about. Trying to figure out what these guys can do, stretching them, finding out po different possibilities, different combinations, so that when you call them up to the major leagues, either A, you have a lot of flexibility with them, or B, you can find a creative way to get them in the lineup. So, uh, yeah, that's what's kind of going on. Alex Call, yeah, I, I don't think you should have known his name because I don't think he is one of the top outfielders in this system, but he plays some decent defense. Uh, he was having a really good season at AAA, and that's why he got the opportunity. So uh, Eric said, thanks for all you do. Thank you, Eric, for jumping in and being part of the conversation and jumping in the emails there and uh, giving us some good things to think about. So keep it up. Let me know the next time you have thoughts, Eric, and uh, we'll be happy to talk about them on the show. All right, that is all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final from Tampa Bay, it's the Guardians ending the road trip with a 5-3 win. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>